Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Good morning and a very warm welcome to a chilly Dublin, to a chilly Leopardstown but a venue yesterday that saw 18,000, a near capacity crowd, pack this place to witness some of the best quality sport that you can imagine. And I'm delighted to say this morning here in the Bulmers Cider Orchard, we are joined by not quite 18,000, but those of us who are gonna brave the chill. It got down to minus four or five overnight in some parts of the county, but racing goes ahead here. And how good was yesterday, everybody? Superb. There we are, superb, great. I'll get them warmed up by 11 o'clock, don't worry about that. An hour and a half of chat for you to enjoy coming up here. Later in the programme, I'll be joined by Keith Donoghue, who was amongst the winners yesterday, and by Ted Walsh, of course, a regular in this slot on this day. But first of all, Jane Mangan joins me as we welcome Barry Connell, yesterday's hero to the show, with good land. Barry, thanks for, thanks for being with us. What a day. What a day for you. Just how, how exciting was it for your whole team? Second grade one runner this season, and a second winner. Fantastic. Um, it's my local track, as people probably know. Um, uh, we have a training operation um, which we've set up in, in the, about 15 minutes from the Coral. Mm -hmm. We bought a farm about five years ago, and uh, it's basically a start-up business. My, my background is in, is in finance. Um, started as a stockbroker and then ran, ran a hedge fund for a while, and then took up amateur riding at 40. Um, and um, naturally, yeah, uh, retired at 50. Um, <laughs> and um, always had in the back of my mind to train. Um, I had horses in training with, with a lot of the top trainers in Ireland and England. And I suppose as, as I was going in, I used to go in and ride out my own horses in those yards. And as I was going around, kind of always looking to take what I could from each operation. Yeah. Um, with a view to putting something in place. Um, so what we have is, is, is uh, it's, it's a boutique operation. There's 25 horses riding out, maybe a few more knocking around the place. Um, and is that what you always wanted, a, a small stable of really good horses? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's funny, you, you were saying you'd retired. I, Jane, I don't see Barry as a man easily retired. Do I think you? He, just, he just moved from one avenue to another. He's always a man <laughs> of the plan. It's a new chapter. It's a yeah, new chapter. Um, I mean, do you ever? Do you have you got one of those minds that's forever thinking of yeah, the next thing yeah, to do? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, racing is my passion. It always has been. I've been going racing since I was two years of age. My father was a punter. No background. No background. The only horsey background that I could, that I that I could find was uh, my grandfather on my father's side mm -hmm. volunteered for the British Cavalry during the First World War. Did he? Yeah. 
he was in the South Irish horse. Um, but as far as I know, no other um, horsey background. So uh, father was a punter, started going racing, went to every race meeting. Um, when I was in college, a bunch of friends, we started going to Cheltenham every year. Um, and um, I think the first time I got into ownership was around the late 80s. Um, never sat in a horse till I was 30. Uh, took a few riding lessons. Were you sporty before then? I played a bit of sport in, in school and college, but nothing, nothing major. And how were you? When you first sat on a horse, I mean, could you, could you ride? Were you any good? No, I took riding lessons first and then progressed from there. I did a little bit of um, riding club stuff, show jumping, a little bit of cross country, but nothing, nothing major. And then when I, when I had a few horses in training, I started going in and riding out in Ted Walters on Saturday mornings. And one thing led to another. Um, I rode in a charity race in Ferry House. Um, the first charity race I rode in, I won. And <laughs> that was it, the bug hit me. There was no going back after that. I mean, your experience as a, as a rider, to what extent does that inform how, how you are with, with jockeys now? Because you've had a few. Yeah, I've had a few. Um, I, I think one of the benefits of having ridden is, is I know all the tracks. Mm. I've ridden in every track in Ireland, a lot of the tracks in England. I was lucky enough to ride a couple of Cheltenham winners at the November uh, fest meeting. Yeah. And I rode in two champion bumpers. Um, rode a lot of the, the other smaller tracks in England, so I think it's a help. Um, you know, when you're when you're planning your races and um, when you're talking to the jockeys about about the tracks, I think it, it is a help to have, have been there. I mean, Cheltenham, as a case in point, when you look at it on the television, you think it's a big galloping track. And um, the first time I went to ride there, I, I, I walked the track and I couldn't believe how undulating it was, how tight it was and how unlike um, to ride it, it, it looked on the television. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think that, that's, it's, that's all a help. Um, and it's kind of built up to, you know, putting together the package um, which we have now. And it's, we have, we have 11 employees, including my, my son, um, but we have an exceptional team, an exceptional team. We probably have, Three, three of the best work riders in the country. I have a, I have, um, uh, a lady called Mandy Makepeace who, whose background is in international eventing who runs the yard for me. She's an equine physio. What she doesn't know about horses, you know, um, she, she knows them inside out. Um, so I, I have a team second to none. And what we try and do is we source, mm -hmm. a, stop buying second-hand horses. We source horses from store sales. Occasionally, we'll buy one maybe that, that's um, come through the point-to-pointing -point system but it hasn't run yet. Um, Goodland and Marine are two of those examples. And we give them loads of time. They, they, they won't appear on a track for a minimum of two years. So what's the thinking behind that? Because that, you have to have serious patience to yeah. wait two oh, yeah. years. Well, the thinking behind it is I'm not a commercial trainer, so I, don't, I, you know, I can do what I like in terms of t time scale. You only have to answer to yourself. Yeah. Um, and uh, what we find, what we found over the years is these horses, they're, 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 big, they're big units. If you overface them and ask them to do more than they're able to do, both physically and mentally, 
uh, you're not going to get the full potential from them. So what we do, we get them into the system, uh, we, 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 we break the horses, get them going, probably for three or four months, give them a break, bring them back in, give them another break, and they might see the tractor five. And is that from you over the years learning about different ways to train or different styles of, of training from different horses? Because you've been training for a couple of years now and all of a sudden we have two very special looking horses. Is that a case where you've learned from mistakes past? Absolutely. Um, particularly from buying second-hand horses. The wear and tear, when you were there at the cold face training these horses and trying to keep them sound, the wear and tear on their joints and on their, their, their mental capacity. Um, is immense and um, now that we have the team in place and the farm and the system in place um, it works it's taken time it's taken two or three years to see what's what's coming through uh, now and um, we I mean Barry were you a, were you a frustrated trainer when you weren't training um, I, I no. Because I, you've got this sort of very well, active I, mind. No, I was riding and then there was probably five or six years between when I retired mm. and when I started training. And that was kind of um, a lead-in, a preparation. We'd bought the farm. We were putting together the staff, putting together the operation, um, putting the facilities in place um, and sourcing the horses. So, no, I, there wasn't an element of frustration. Like, I've enjoyed every, every phase of my racing life um, as it's evolved. But it was all kind of research and development for here, really. Yeah, it is. But I, look, I'm a, I'm a racing nut. I, I, like, I watch every race. Um, I record all the races. Uh, do a bit of work during the day, and I watch them uh, every night at, at, at home and try and learn as much as I can from, from, from watching races, from other trainers, from, from everywhere, everywhere I can get. So, um, as, as a self-confessed racing nut, then... I'm Someone, I guess the Australians would call you a racing tragic. Um, to, to come here yesterday and to feel the energy of the place. Mm. I mean, I arrived about 25 minutes before your horse won. I mean, yeah. just walking in, 18,000 people. And it's not a humongous site. You know, there are bigger yeah. sites in the world. Yeah. The energy was phenomenal. Yeah, well, I, it was 18,000 people here. I think I said to you yesterday, the last time I can remember that kind of crowd being here was when Denoli won the, the Irish Gold Cup. Yeah. Um, and it was incredible atmosphere and it's great to see it back again here you know the, the track has taken some knocks because of the ground um, um, but I met Lorcan Weir coming in and, and I'd have to say hats off to the management to, in, in getting the ground back to where it should be every horse turned up there was no, no horse that shouldn't, shouldn't have, have, have been here yesterday and our horses pulled out sound and I imagine everyone else's horses did um, the roar before the first race yesterday, I've never heard. Supreme novice, like the Supreme novice. Never heard that before. Um, you know, I think everyone's just delighted to be back after COVID and to be back out again and to have all the best horses turn up here. Like, there's no hiding place. Um, it's incredibly, incredibly competitive, and that's the way it should be. And you asked me, you know, um, about my reaction, and um, I genuinely thought we were going to win coming. I knew we were the best horse in the race. Um, 
yesterday. I thought it, it was only going to be an accident or something untoward. That's serious. Re like, you obviously have seen him at home and see his work and see his improvement, but he just won a maiden hurdle. You'd gone, similar with Marine Nacional, into grade one company. It's not everybody can have that kind of belief. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't kill himself at home, but like he's got age on his side. He's a seven-year-old, um, and he, he's, he's a brilliant jumper. He's a great mind, a great temperament. Um, and uh, he'd taken a step forward from, he was entitled to improve, that was his first run over hurdles. Um, he won his bumper on heavy ground in Wexford. He, he's, he's, he's won over hurdles on soft ground, now on good ground. He's a bomb-proof temperament. Um, I think he's a serious talent, and I think he's going to win the Ballymore. There you are. I'm, you didn't hear it here first, because I think you've made this pretty well known, but you, you've had it underlined again, I think he's going to win the Ballymore, yep. says, says Barry Conn. Are, are you playing the race through in your mind already? Can, um, you, can you envisage him going around Cheltenham? Yeah, well, the one thing we had to do yesterday, the, the plan the first day wasn't for him to make the running. And he has a tendency at home, he's not, he's not keen, he's a tendency at home just to get the jump on the rider. Mm -hmm. And he got the jump on Mikey the first day. And we wanted to get a lead yesterday, and the only um, slight bit of concern I had yesterday was he was a little keen because he, 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 he just needed to settle. And after the first um, couple of hundred yards, it was fine. And you could see him pricking his ears. It was very clever, very clever to jump. <coughs> um, Watching the race, I was looking at poor Sam Tristan Davis, who obviously craved company, a horse to help him along. And Michael's a very young rider, and we'll be hearing so much more about him. But he was clever enough to say, no, I'm not helping you. I'm going to use you. And turning in, he could have easily committed for home. It's a very long, lonely straight here at Leopardstown. But watching it for you, knowing that your jockey knows the horse so well, that is yeah, a yeah. comfort in itself. Well, look, uh, <clears throat> he had to do it the hard way the last time. Um, he had to make his own running. The two hurls in the straight were out. Yeah. For a horse having his first run, I, you know, I thought it was um, incredible. Um, and Michael is, is a find. He, he is an absolute find. So where did you first see Michael? He rang, me, he rang me looking for the ride in Marine National in his bumper in, in, Mar in, in um, April. Mm -hmm. never... he, he rang for the ride, and that was, was that the... You'd seen him riding in points, though, yeah? Or not yeah, really? Yeah, he rode one, he, he, he rode one point point horse to me before. But um, we knew he had a nice horse in Marine going to Punchestown. But I was blown away by the performance of horse and rider. He was really cool really really cool um, and after that I asked him to come in and ride out so he started coming in ride, riding out a few days and after about a month I sat him down and said Mikey I said I want you to turn professional I said the job is there for you uh, you're seven pound claiming you can do he can do lightweights he can he can claim off 10 stone for a tall guy and I said I will support you when you're claiming three and when you're, cla when you're not claiming because what happens a lot of these guys is they like a comet, mm. they take off. Flash everyone, across the everyone, skyline and burn everyone, out. Everyone wants them when mm. they're claiming seven, claiming five, and when they claim three, they get dropped like a hot potato. And I said, I'm not, listen, my horses are there for you to ride, and I'm happy to support you because I saw something in him, um, and I think he's a serious, serious talent. Um, he's going to be, f four or five years' time, he's going to be up there with Paul and Jack. Um, I've no, I've no doubt about it. Like, when you look at his ride in the Royal Bond, mm -hmm. first ride in a grade one, 
couldn't claim. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. He got shuffled back. He confidence in his horse. He waited and waited. He could have wheeled out. He didn't. He sat and waited. The gap opened. Looked like all he had to do was jump the last and win, and then he missed the last. Didn't panic. Took his time, got the horse balanced, and um, got up on the line. We're going to see this form actually tested today with Irish Point running in the, the two-mile novice, and of course Astro Diamond has franked the form as well. What struck me about this is you, you were mentioning pre-race the horse's speed, and, and while it looks like he's under all sorts of pressure, he actually doesn't get a hard race for a horse that wins by the, the narrowest of margins. Now I give him a couple of flicks. You can see here he's just given him a couple of flicks. Um, he's by um, he's by a star called French Navy. Mm who uh, was standing in Kildangan only five minutes down the road from where our farm is. And I think he only got 18 months and he was, he's in India now. We tried to buy him. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, we tried to see where he was after we knew that the horse was good. Are you having any joy? No. <laughs> Are they just not, they're not, they're not playing ball? No, I think there's a wealthy guy in India who owns him and, and he doesn't want to sell him. Um, but he, he didn't cover, he, he hasn't many on the ground. No, normally there's one good flat horse called Lafayette who won two grade twos. Um, he, he's, he's a German um, influence on the downside. There's a uh, couple of jump winners, straight cut places in there. It's a funny pedigree, but he's produced an exceptional horse. Is this the next? Is this the next idea, Barry? Stand a couple of stallions? No, definitely not. <laughs> There's I, I, a lot going on here, isn't it? <laughs> There's a lot going on here. No, no, there is no, a no. lot going on here. No, 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 no. I'm sticking to the training now. Breed, breedings for other people. Okay, but you just. You've had such a kind of feel for this horse that you thought, I need to do a bit of digging. Well, look, I, I thought it was a no-brainer. Like, if you, could, if you could buy him back for small money and stand him as a country stallion, we knew our horse was going to advertise him. And, um, look, it was just an idea at the time. And, um, uh, but, again, we're only scratching the surface with Marine. Um, I said before, I put my head above the parapet before the Royal Bond. I said I've never had a horse like him before. Been lucky enough to have had three grade one winners, three Chelton Festival winners, but there were stairs. This is a really quick horse. I think he could be a grade one horse on the flat. What are you going to do? Are you going to go back on the <clears> flat? If Cheltenham goes well, are you going to have a, have a pop at the flat with no, him? No. Um, he, he missed his summer break this year, so I think he's going to deserve a summer break this year. Um, <clears throat> and I think if he wins the Supreme, he'll probably go for the Oracle next year. But we will go, go on the flat at some stage. Is he going to win the Supreme? So you yeah, were... Absolutely. So, so I, I was trying to gauge confidence and extreme confidence, and I wondered where we were with Marine relative, yeah, I, to, no. relative to good land. I think everybody here should get on for the double. Okay. You've been what, told. What's the, what's the double paying roughly at the moment, good land and Marine National? Somebody can, somebody can work it out. Best price double the two. Yeah. Have, you do, have you done it? Have you done the double? No, I haven't had a bet for about 10 years. Really? Yeah. Did you enjoy your punting? When you did yeah, I a did bet. a bit, but I do my betting in the stock market. Mm -hmm. He and also that, does it, his betting by buying these horses, <clears> training <throat> them, and all that investment. <clears throat> so do you, do you apply different principles to, to running your training business to how you made your money in no, the first it's, 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 it's very similar. Um, like, if you're looking at a good company, what you try and do is, 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 is get the best people in place, get the best facilities in place, and delegate mm -hmm as much as you can to those people. And I have superb people, and I delegate to them. Um, and I try and keep an overview, do the race planning, 
I'm there every morning, but I, I, you know, it's all it's it's all about getting the input from from all all of, all of the the staff and putting it all into the mix. But there's some intangibles mm. there. I'm really interested in what what do you look for in people to work with? What do you like in a person? Um, you have to get on with them first and foremost. They have to have the experience, um, and you know they have to be outstandingly good at what they do. Are you easy to get on with? I'd like to think so. Um, you know, I I I I I, I don't um, uh, go around shouting and roaring. Um, and I think there's, there's an air of calm in the stable. I think anyone will tell you who's come to visit the place. Um, and I think that benefits the horses. They, they're very sentient beings. They pick up. Mm -hmm. they, pick up they, they pick everything up. So I think everyone goes about their business in the yard. Everyone knows what they have to do. Um, the horses are very relaxed. We have, we have a big courtyard. We have outdoor stables. We've turnouts. We, we, I try to design a very modern training establishment and I think it, 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 it allows the horses to be as close to nature as they can be possibly both, both physically and mentally you exude an air of kind of calm authority you don't ever seem to get too excited <clears throat> but I know how much you love these horses well you, you what's, probably saw me what's going on in here you saw me getting excited leading the horse in yesterday yeah. and after the royal bond and if you don't do that you may give up <laughs> And your dad who brought you to all the races when you were a kid and all the way through, how, how would he have been yesterday? What would that have been like? Uh, it would have meant the world. Um, like he would have been 95. Um, but he was still going down to the bookies when he was in his 90s watching the races, backing my horses. And, and how, how proud was he when you, when you started riding? Uh, hugely. Hugely. Um, you know, he used to come racing and, and he'd watch all the races with his, his, his pals down in the pub or in the bookies and proud as punch. So that would have been a very, very special moment yeah. yesterday. Um, in terms of looking forward, Barry, do you, do you see this being what it is for the next few years, 25, 30 horses, improving quality all the time? Or can you imagine a world where Barry Connell has a runner in every grade one? No. Uh, the Dublin Racing Festival. I thought you're, you were going to say, to, uh, uh, I have another 25 years of doing this. Hopefully, <laughs> I do. Um, no, we want to keep it, keep it, keep it a boutique operation. Somebody asked me what I train horses for outside people. Um, I'm training one for my son today. He runs, runs in his colours. Tricky owner. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would train for 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 family and maybe maybe close friends. That's about it. You know, we want to, we want to keep it a small quality operation. And your, your son's working with you as well? Yeah, he works full time with me, yeah. And how, do you, how well do you work together? Ah, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. He rides out, drives the tractor, um, you know, does a lot of jobs around the place. And, and um, you know, he, he was working briefly in, in finance as well. And, and when I set up the operation, I said, come on down and work, work for me. So, um, yeah, the two of us got on great. That leads us on nicely to the lady in red, or da lady in red. First race today, party tonight. Any, any chance of the double? She has the chance. Um, she, was she, she was going to run a big race uh, last year. She knuckled over and landing at the fourth last. Um, I think she was third or fourth at the time. Um, she had a little bit of a setback. Uh, we put in a new gallop this year, and before we, we, we put in the railing around it, she got loose. 
and got the reins wrapped around her leg and, and had a little, little setback. Um, if we'd had a prep run, I'd be really fancying her. Um, but I think she, she'll definitely get a bit of prize money today. Okay, well, best of luck. Um, there is definitely a party tonight, is there? Yeah. <laughs>Welcome back to the Bulmers Orchard here at Leopardstown Racecourse. We are live with you for luck on Sunday from the Dublin Racing Festival. The audience already beginning to pour in. Did you enjoy Barry Connell? Yes, yes absolutely. Are you going to enjoy Ted Walsh? Yes, absolutely. There. If we can keep them that happy, Ted, for the, for the rest of the show, we'll be doing all right. They look good for me. They don't look like they were out too late on the end. Exactly. And even if they were, they've just rolled straight in, so it doesn't really matter. Um, there was a lot to put a smile on your face yesterday, wasn't there? If you're a fan of the sport, there was a lot to enjoy. There was, uh, particularly the two races in particular, the uh, Gold Cup and uh, the Arkle. Mm. Uh, they were two. The, the Arkle was a, a fantastic race. I mean, they jumped out. Danny Mullins let that old horse roll from the flag fall. He went a really good gallop. He got everything, every single horse in the race out of their comfort zone before they'd gone two fences. Mm. I said the lads in the back were hoping, Jesus, they'd slow down somewhere but they were legging it. And every horse was making a, some sort of a mistake behind. Some of them were so far back, they couldn't get into it. It was a great race and a great winner. A really, really top-class winner. Yeah, loads to take out of this. Should we have a look at that first, then? Yesterday's, yesterday's Irish Arkle, won by El Fabiolo. Good runs, for sure, in behind from Dysart Dynamo and Appreciate It and Banbridge. They all emerge with varying degrees of credit in their yeah. own way. But do you think this is a, you think this is a real prospect, the, the winner? Well, I'd say he's a horse, like he put it up to John Bond at Liverpool last year in the novice hurl, and I'd say he'll put it up to him again uh, between the two of them. I thought coming into the race that appreciated being such a classy horse that he was might be the biggest danger to John Bond uh, uh, next March. Mm. Uh, but having looked at it yesterday, this, this horse is a serious horse. He's gone very much the right way, made a few mistakes yesterday, and still got himself over it. I love the way he went from the back of the last. He's a high-class horse, no doubt about that, and uh, I'd say that... The John Bond connections are under no illusions to have a, a, a fair old mountain to climb to knock him off his pedestal at the moment anyway, you know. When you saw how, how briskly they were going in the early stages, stage, did you tell me this was nine seconds quicker than the, than the handicap? Than the, not a 50, a 150 handicap, yeah, so it, the, the clock doesn't lie and Banbridge is a decent horse and he was badly outpaced, he eventually stays on to get placed. But, Leaving the back straight, he was way out of his ground, whereas El Fabiolo was one of the only horses that could pick up off that pace and pull away. He does put plenty of daylight between himself appreciated and Dysart Dynamo, who, to his credit, did not fold, having set that ferocious pace. But a lot of these horses, including the winner, were coming in here off a saunter around in a beginner's chase. Very little experience. That horse went to Aintree in a grade one last year after winning a maiden yeah. hurdle at Tremor. He ran John Bonnet neck. If you've seen him in a physique, he's very narrow but really tall. So you'd imagine chasing is his game, and he proved it yesterday that he's a horse. Um, Willie Mullins, before the race, Ted, was saying, oh, we think appreciated is the stable selected. How surprised do you think he was by the result and the how way surprised, they How surprised Willie was? Yeah, how surprised do you think he was, or not at all, really? I'd say he was slightly surprised. I'd say he was pleasantly surprised mm. that he has such a good horse in the yard. But I'd say, I mean, Paul Townend is a stable jockey, mm. and he had the choice, and he picked Appreciated, which I think I would have done too on what I had seen, hurl for him and flat for him, and, or jumping for him. I thought he was good when he won at Nace, but as Jane says, they, all of them had solo runs. They'd gone around at horses that were 
completely superior to her and didn't come under pressure. Uh, I was a little disappointed. I thought, appreciate that he jumped well enough. I thought he had more gears than he had. Mm. I thought he wouldn't have found the pace as quick as it was. He was flat to the mat from a long ways out. Slightly disappointed that he wasn't a quicker horse. And I'd say, I'd say everybody in close Sutton might have thought the same thing. Well, I wonder what the reaction was from Close Sutton as regards yesterday's Gold Cup. I'd imagine they were pretty pleased with Galapin Deschamps, particularly with what Galapin Deschamps did from the last to the line, Jane, in what were quite tricky circumstances for him. Yes, Davy Russell from the outside rail to the inside rail with a stick in his right hand would leave plenty to be desired from him. Do you see the big dog coming down there? We're going to chat to Keith Dunahoo in a little bit of time. but. Leaving the back straight, I was wondering what is Paul holding on to? He was looking like he was a little bit behind the bridle, but once he splits Davy Russell and Patrick Mullins between Statler and Fury Road, he starts to find his rhythm. He really starts to pick up, and he gets badly interfered here, Ted. Lesser horses would have come down. Yeah, there's some serious argy-bargy here, Ted, at the last. Yeah, argy-bargy, that's what it is. Uh, Davy Lestall horse run right down in across him like that. I don't think he ever looked like coming down now, uh, but, I mean, he, he was tightening him up. Uh, as Davy does, sticking his right hand, he let old Fury Road run across it. You actually don't expect, we'd say, top class jockeys <laughs> as Davy. Now, that, Davy, that was a manoeuvre by Davy Russell to do that. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't careless riding no. around else. Like, Davy was going to make it difficult, let the old horse roll down, try and see if you could get Paul into a bit of a pocket. It's not what you expect in modern day riding. <laughs> but it was part of the norm, and where Davy would have served his time in the pine, the pine field. You'd get a clap on the back for doing it, you know. And unfortunately, it looks bad, and it is bad. And uh, Davies, he's sticking his right hand. He made no attempt to straighten him because when he came in, he gave every indication he was going to come to the stand side because he swung wide to come up the stand rail, and he ended up on the far side. Now, it wasn't one of Davies' finest hours. One of the great jockeys of our lifetime. It was not nice to see a jockey like him be all over the shop, but he does that. And he gets away with it and he makes it awkward as he can for other fellas. And sort of slightly makes a little bit of a, a virtue out of something that's effectively a, a professional foul. Did that cross the line for you then between gamesmanship and professional foul? I'm not that worried about professional. <laughs> professional fouls go on every day, do we? Yeah. And I mean, they go on and ride. We only see it from the back of the last. That goes on down the back. That goes on below this. That goes on everywhere. I mean, that's what the top class lads do. Paul Townend last week at Naeus. He got done for careless riding. It was more careless than the man in the moon. Mm. Paul Town doesn't do careless. If he wants to do you, when I was riding, if I wanted to nail a fella, I knelt him. I didn't, it wasn't careless. <laughs> no, I came was... in and said I didn't see him and I'm sorry and all that. But it's not. Top class riders that do that, do it. They know they're doing it. Mm. It's not careless. And the stewards are pathetic because they accept careless. Like, they're, they're the most harmless bunch of stewards that you've ever seen. They believe anything. You know, so if the lads know that going in, so give them a cock and bull story, take a chance and you might get away with it. So, I, 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 can't, work, I, I can't work out now whether you want them to, be, to clamp down on them harder or whether yeah. you think, ah, it's all part of the game. No, I don't. I want them to clamp down on us. I want them to be consistent and know what they're looking at. But unfortunately, the crowd we have at the moment, I don't know what you'd want to do to get them to know what they're looking at because they don't seem to know what they're looking at. <laughs> they give a bunch of lads days for absolutely nothing. And then they come along when the top lads go back in and they let them off scot-free. And the lads are, young lads are below, they get days for the start, they get days for this, they get days for that. I think they're weak in both countries. Weak as be damned. Okay, what could, what could they do better? 
Get rid of all the crowds that are there anyway and put in fellas that know what they're looking at. Okay. Fellas that stand up and be counted. Anyone in mind? I haven't anyone in mind, but I think fellas that, that can read a race and saw what it is, pick out a non-trier, know what it is, they don't know what they're looking at. And then the odd fella that does know hasn't got the backup of the fellas that do know. We lost Peter Matches, which was a top-class type, mm -hmm. uh, up there six, five or six months ago. The lads that are coming on now are young and they're coming on. There's a couple of good young lads coming on there. Uh, they could be, but they need a bit of backup from the stewards. They can't do it on their own. And you have some wishy-washy stewards inside that might as well be looking at, I won't say it again, Peppa Pig. It's a, good it's a good job your stipes here don't have to deal with a whip betting in period like they do in, in the UK. Oh, shit, that's an absolute, that's, that's a complete joke. I mean, like, that's gone on like for about 20 years in, in, in England. How long ago since Tommy Ryan and Joe Borden got six months? Well, six it's, months? It's, it's before my time watching Before your racing, time, so yeah, well, I be, remember. It's got to be 40 years. And looking out here, most of these people is before your time as well. Joe Borden and Tommy Ryan got six months by the English stewards one time for excessive use. Now, I'm all for clamping down on excessive use. Even fellas like myself were quite guilty of it over the years and deserve whatever penalties I might have got. But like, they, when they started to get into numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six, Jesus, it's pathetic. I mean, they think the same, Tony McCoy and Ruby Walsh will hit a horse seven times. And a little slip of a girl like Holly Dyle will hit it seven. And they consider her seven to be as bad as Tony McCoy and Ruby Walsh. Sure, a child knows bloody well. There's no difference, no comparison in, 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 in the stroke or the belt or the power or anything else. It's, it's, it, they took, once they put in the numbers, they took common sense out of it. People look down and know what's abusive and know what's not. And like a fellow going through the red lights at two o'clock in the morning, no one in the town. It's not the same person who goes through the red lights when the kids are crossing the street. Now, quite interesting talking about the yeah. whip and when you should use it and when you shouldn't use it, it kind of leads us quite nicely on to the, to the four-year-old hurdle yesterday where Lossy Mouth was, was beaten. Let's take a look at the, the finish first of all. And to be honest, when we pick it up here, the damage really, Jane, has, has already been done by a combination of factors. Just explain the kind of finer find a detail of this race. Yeah, so Jack Foley, green cap inside rail in front on Jour de Fete, gets a slow jump and eventually comes back on top of the stable mate in the same colours, the favourite Lossy Mouth, which shuffles Paul Town and on the grey mare back to last position, having been in the box seat sitting second on the rail. Paul can't immediately put his mare back into the race and use up all his fuel, leaving the back straight, so he switches to the centre and he eventually ends up beside the horse in yellow, which is Sean O'Keefe on Gust of Wind. Now, as they turn to the second last hurdle, Paul is gradually making up that ground, knowing that he can't just go for broke straight away. There's going to be a concertina effect here. Siska's in front of Brian Hayes. They're approaching the hurdle, and Paul is in between runners. Watch the horse in the yellow now on the inside, because Sean O'Keefe drops his inside rein, and he gives a bump to Rachel Blackmore on ascending, which then bumps Paul Townend four wide off the home bend. And again, he can't completely commit. Danny Mullins, meanwhile, on Gallimar, so starts to commit for home. He has ground to make up here approaching the last hurdle. It still looks like it could be salvaged, but Ted, he never quite got there. No, but I slightly disagree with you. I think the damage was done way before then, and the harm was done. Danny Mullins, see the man in front, when he gets up past Jack Foley, he, get in there, you're not letting Paul, he can spot Paul Townend coming through on his inside, way down there. And the minute he spots Paul, he knows what Paul Townend is going to do. He's a very clever rider and a tough, and a, 
and a tough rider. He can see Paul Townend in front, is directly behind Jack Foley. Paul is probably saying, Jack, Jack, because he knows Jack is coming back. But Danny cops it, closes the door, and Paul has to go back. That's where it all happened. Danny squeezes up Jack Foley, get in there, uh, the uh, man on his outside gets in, and they tighten up, nowhere to go. Ta Danny Mullins, 10 out of 11. 11 out of 10? 11 out of 10. We got there. Yeah. It's a good job you're not a steward. You can't even count to 11. I said, yeah, well, 10, yeah. 11 out of 10, I should say. Yeah, but I mean, that's where I think it, it was the whole, the whole factor. You, all of a sudden, Danny, if you watch it again, Danny moves up on the outside of Jack Foley, can probably see Paul is going to go to the inside, straight in. Proper, classy bit of race riding. Proper. Nothing foul about it, nothing wrong. Top class riding. Keep it tight. Let's have a look at what Willie Mullins... I don't, you, you guys might not have seen this interview yesterday because you were probably here, but well worth refreshing you and you if you didn't see this on what Willie Mullins said to Lydia after the race, particularly on Paul Townend's ride on Lossie Mouth. Paul got into a lot of trouble. But, the, you know, the, the winner is a good filly and she's improving all the time. Um, but I think Paul, Paul thinks he was a little unlucky. A little unlucky, my goodness. I mean, it was the owner companion as well, weakening back and taking a right back. It was really unlucky. That, that was the disappointing part about it, you know. And he, I think Paul said to me he got done three times, but anyhow. The positive to take out of it, from Lossy Mouth's perspective, is how well hard she fought to try and get herself out of adversity. Yeah, yeah I just hope it doesn't leave its mark that she had such a hard run from the third last home. I mean, she put in a huge effort for a four-year-old filly, for a juvenile, that just might leave a mark. That's what I'm really worried about. You know, I was, I'd have been happier if Paul maybe just hand and heels and, you know, the, the writing was on the wall. So what was the point in hitting her, you know? I, anyhow. That's the balance, though, isn't yeah. it, between, you know, trying to win yeah. a goal? He has to have a go uh, to try and win, but, I mean, to me, unless Danny made a mistake in the last, he wasn't going to get, get to that one anyhow, so there we are. You know. Let's focus on the winner. Did you feel she'd improved since she chased home Lossie We did, you know, I mean, we thought she had every chance coming here today if anything happened to the one in front, the one in uh, Lossie had been working well at home, you know, so, but Gallimard probably had more scope for improvement. Mm. Mm. And she jumps well. She jumps very well. She's very, you know, she's good filly. And will she be going to the Triumph alongside Lossie Mouth as long as, as long as all is well? They all will. <laughs> to KO as well? I don't know what he, he might go down another route. He might go for the Boodles. Uh, he, he wouldn't be probably good enough, but we'll see. But, um, you know, it, they're all entitled to go if they want. And you're referring to Blood Destiny, I take it, who skipped this race? He, he skipped it. I didn't think there was much point in him having a hard... You know, I didn't expect Lassimut to have a hard race, and she's had one, and, but certainly would have had a hard race. With blood. So he's going straight there, I take it? Yeah, yeah. Well, he's going to go there, anyhow, all being well. Yeah. And reflections on the first race, Cader Parry, Grange Clare West? Disappointing. Okay. All right, best of luck for the rest of the week. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen anyone less animated after having had the first however many home he had in a, in a, in a grade one race. But it just sort of shows you the complexity of Willie Mullins' day yesterday. Was he right there about Paul Townend's use of the whip, do you think? Ah, I, I didn't study it that closely. I wasn't watching. I wasn't giving watching. her an overly hard race. Yeah. I, I mean, Willie is the trainer, and he probably felt that he was. Paul was probably a bit frustrated, thought he was going to get back up and ride a winner again, too. Hindsight's a great thing. Uh, Willie was looking at it for the welfare of the animal with Cheltenham coming up and things like that. In a different light, Paul is in the heat of the moment. 
it's a bit like a fella standing on the sidelines watching the scrap mm. as actually being in it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Do you know? Had Gallimar so tied up in front, you'd be having a completely different conversation. She, you weren't necessarily sure she was going to keep going after pulling as hard as she did. Yeah. Are we not giving her enough credit? Possibly, yeah. She's. Yeah, I say she was good now. She was very free for about a whole mile of the race. He was pulling off heels halfway down the back straight, so she pulled for a solid mile. And she's an improving filly. And that's before we even get to Blood Destiny, who didn't even run yesterday. Yeah, yeah he's the one. Is he the one? Well, I think he. I was very impressed with him at Fairy House. As was I in huh? Cork, even. He yeah, was... in Cork, even as well, too. I mean, I think. I think. I think. I think if you're having a punt, Willie Mullins for the triumph for <laughs> Willie Mullins for everything. <laughs> on, on that note, I just want to ask you both why you think, what it is precisely that's got Willie Mullins into a position of almost absurd dominance. I mean, it is, it's beyond what we even could have imagined maybe 12 months ago, Ted, and even then it was crazy. I think Willie Mullins has surrounded himself with the right people in every aspect. If you heard Barry Connell talking earlier on there, I think his staff are top class, his lieutenants right behind him are top class, his jockeys are top class, and the people who are buying his horses are definitely top class. I mean, Pierre spots him in France, and he's been doing it for years. And, I mean, everybody else can, are buying horses, but Willie seems to be buying the better ones all the time. He seems to be recruiting the stars. I mean, obviously he buys duds as well, but on the whole, Willie's horses, all them horses he buys from France, they keep coming in for years, so we way back to the good, back to the tour and all them down along the line. They keep coming in, and whoever is buying them or picking them out for Willie, obviously the clients are paying for him. But that's that's the real source of it. I mean, Jesus, he has an amount of, yeah. of top talent. This weekend, a lot of uh, conversation about not having you know English trained runners here, but yet you have the Simon Muneer and Isaac Swade team yeah. with Al Fabiolo with Willie Mullins. It's a little bit cyclical. The man has been a long time getting the results. So then he gets people giving him the money to invest in getting the horses. He then has the selection process down to a T. Just look at that juvenile hurdle yesterday. Since I was fourth behind Lossy Mouth in that Autoy race, so he bought selected those two. Didn't buy the second and third, bought those two. Uh, Gust of Wind ran well yesterday. He also bought the second out of that maiden in, in, in Autoy, so bought the first two. But he also has the repertoire of owners. So he had three grade one winners yesterday with three different jockeys, three different sets of owners, and he'll have something similar today. It's, uh, it's a circle, but it's not his fault. Nobody else is doing that. No. It's, uh, again, it's not a question of fault. It's a no. question of how, you know, and it's... it's do you agree with me I that do, it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's all, it was almost inconceivable to get to this point, not that long ago, <coughs> even though he was already dominant? Yeah, no, I mean, like, we were back in the time when Paul Nichols had big bucks, mm. Cato Starr, Denman, Masterminded, and you kept saying to yourself, where did he get all these? I remember a little bit before both your time when uh, Peter Easterby had Night Nurses, mm -hmm. Alberton, Sea Pigeon, Little Owl, he won... You know, Sometimes they come, but Willie has been doing it from the time he started off. He's gradually built up. He had all them good horses, and now he's big bunch him again. He's just, it seems, is he 20, is he 20 times champion trainer? I mean, Willie is only, he's 65 or 6, he's 7 or 8 years younger than me. 65 maybe, I don't know what age, around that age anyway. But, like, he's doing it like since, since the best part of 20 years. That's a long reign. He's got a way to go to catch Andre Farr.
Huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, but, yeah, I know he has. Yeah, Andre Fab. Yeah, I know that well. But I'm just but saying. No, I, I'm, being, yeah, I'm being facetious, yeah, but, but you know but, what I mean. Yeah, but he, but he, but he has. But at the same time, like it's a long, long. He'll do it though. Yeah, he could do it. Like, he was I mean, saying yesterday. I don't think I've had a seven-year-old winner of the Irish Gold Cup, Florida Pearl. Yeah. Florida Pearl and Alexander Banquet seem like a long time ago. He's been doing yeah, it consistently since then. Yeah. yeah. Two decades of total dominance. He didn't win everything yesterday, but Gordon Elliott had to go to England to get his grade one, and that was with Jerry Colomb in the Rob Core colours of Brian Atchison and family. Uh, did you manage to catch this, Ned? Yeah. yeah. What did you make of it? That was a good workman-like performance. I thought young Jordan was in front plenty soon enough on a horse that doesn't like to be in front. He jumped his way there, but he wanted him to be in front to do. He wound him up down the back of the fences, and he jumped well, jumped most of them well, and uh, he battled back well here. Uh, he stays well. I always thought from here on in he was going to win. For a few strides at the back of that pond fence, I thought he was going to get beat, but when he got back up sides again, he stays and gallops. Good, gutsy performance. Um, what sort of his plan is it? Is it the RSA or the... Brown advisory, I think, Brown yeah. Advisory, yeah. yeah, Brown advisory. Yeah, he's a good, good contender. He stays well. He jumps well. And I was delighted this young man because I think he's a, a star of the future. I just think I've seen him better through a race. Mm. If he was running today, if he had not run in that and run in the race today in the two, five and a half... He'd be third favourite, I'd say. And where would he, where would he finish, do you think? Uh, I think Mighty Potter's very good and we'll find out today, but... Whether Distler would have the, I suppose, tactical speed of them, I'm not sure, because when he won in Limerick, it was mudlark conditions. He hit the front, as Ted said, down the back here in the railway fences, and then he got comprehensively passed by Balco Coastal, who probably just didn't stay up that hill. Uh, Distler outstayed him yesterday. I don't know if he has the class to be a Gold Cup horse next year, but he remains unbeaten. And would I like to have a horse in my, in my stable with two grade ones as an unbeaten horse? Yes. Just make sure they're trained here. Because... The Irish trainers winning everything, uh, as indeed they have been for some time. Gordon Elliott joining the Grade 1 action at Sandown Park yesterday, and he'll be hoping that Mighty Potter can win this afternoon against Willie Mullins' Gaillard de Menil. When you rejoin us after the break, uh, a man who has had a, a really interesting season. He has been a, a major part of the Jockeys' Room in Ireland for, for some time now. He was on the deck yesterday, and then he was up in the winner's enclosure. Keith Donoghue will be joining Jane and Ted and me in a few moments' time. Welcome back. You are watching Luck on Sunday live from the Bulmer Cider Orchard here at Leopardstown Racecourse. The audience nicely filling up and we're expecting another huge crowd here at Leopardstown today. 18,000 people here yesterday. If you were with us at the beginning of the programme, Barry Connell was saying that he felt it was the biggest crowd here at this fantastic racecourse since the days of the great Danoli back in the mid-1990s. And it was certainly a wonderful atmosphere that greeted all the winners, among whom was Keith Donoghue, who joins me now. And Keith, it was threatening to be not a very good afternoon after a pretty nasty fall from the big dog, but you got up and you won the, the next on final orders. It must have, been, uh, must have been quite a thrill for Gavin Cromwell. Yeah, it was. He's been a brilliant horse since he went chasing and... Uh... You know, he was going up in grade yesterday. It was probably the hardest race he'd won in. He was on a career-high mark of 140, and uh, he couldn't have done it much easier. What was it like for you guys yesterday? Because we're all talking about a you know, big crowd, big atmosphere, big buzz. Did it have a kind of special feel in the, in the jockey's room? Ah, it did, yeah. You know, you can't beat riding on the bigger days, and uh, the big crowd, it, it makes it all better. And even going out, you know, it, makes it gives you that bit more motivation. So a bit of a new chapter for you this season, isn't it? Or the last, the last few months, kind of branching out, coming away from Gordon's, building up new contacts. How do you, how do you sort of feel it's all, it's all progressed? 
Yeah, I'd say it's going quite well. Like 36 winners was my best season when I was in Gardens, and I'm on 41 this year. So, uh, you know, I think the stats are nearly proven that it was a good move. We just have to keep it going now. And is it, was it one of those sort of changes as good as a resting? Did you feel that your your career needed a bit of a a fresh direction? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, more mentally than anything. And uh, you know, obviously, I'd known Gavin a long time as well, uh, and I always rode a lot for him. And uh, you know. Get in with him then is very good because you know there's not too many trainers in Ireland with 100 plus horses, so you know it, it, it is tight. Like, yeah, I mean we've been spending so much time Ted talking about Willie Mullins, we forget what somebody like Gavin Cromwell's done from virtually nothing. I mean, in a short period of time, I mean amazing to yeah, build amazing, up from yeah, yeah, and, and and so is Henry as well too. I mean we have five or six lads there. They have a, the bar is very high with Willie Mullins, but these lads are are, are doing a great job. I mean a great job. I mean, Gavin already has a, a champion hurl under his belt. Mm. You know, and and a couple of other Shelton winners as well. Do you know what I mean? So, there 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 loads of talent there. So to get the ammunition, but I think that, I mean, as long as Willie's around, getting the ammunition to his, it's the ammunition is the whole thing. Mm. What, loads of lads are well able to thrive. You saw John Kiley yesterday with his very small string come out and beat the champion trainer with a bumper horse. John has been doing that all his life with a hand, handful of horses. It's just to get the ammunition. They can all, I'd say, fire the gun and hit the target if they could load the gun with enough of the right bullets. Absolutely. And final orders yesterday. Um, he's a prime example, as you said, of what, of what Gavin Cromwell can do, because the horse had had a gazillion runs before he even got, got his hands on him and was kind of exposed as being a little bit average. Not yeah, now. Yeah, and, you know, he started off with uh, his first run for Gavin over hurdles. He got beaten ball and robe. Then he went to Belliestown and he won. And, you know, he said, oh, we'll send him chasing. And we're thinking, yeah, do you really jump a fence? And... He just loves jumping the fence. He's probably one of the best jumpers he'd ride. And to think, you know, he got beaten a one or two or eight or less beginners the first day in Dan Patrick. He went to Killarney then and he bolted up and he's just progressed on, on reels from there, you know. And these handicaps, so competitive here. And when you saw it was a wave of the sea that, that you were up against, who, let's face it, has won three times at the, at the Dublin Racing Festival, a, a, pretty, a pretty formidable opponent. Yeah, I did, and, and he had Rebel Gold, that won the Dan Moore, and you know, there were plenty of other horses in there. It was definitely his toughest race, and uh, you know, all his other ones have kind of got to control it from the front, and when we jumped off yesterday, it was going, we were going a faster gallop, and you know, I was just about able to keep up with them, and he, well, his jumping was keeping me in it, and I was half thinking down the back, or oh, the weight now got to him, and the up and grade, and I remember jumping one fence down the back, and he just came onto the bridle, and I said, we're away here. Yeah, and he's a, a really tough performance. This was a, this was a good race, Jane. Yeah, it's a, super competitive. But sure, surely a hundred grand, hundred and fifty grand race, you'd expect something similar. And this horse has just gone through the roof this season. Um, yes, we we can compliment Gavin and, and what he's done with him. But Keith has been a big part of that as well. And I suppose for you, Keith, as well, to have the patronage of him and, and Peter Fahey, you had two Grade One runners for Peter Fahey yesterday. That's for a, a country where it can be very difficult for a rider to get on those types of horses, it takes work, but it's it's worthwhile. Yeah, it is, and uh, you know, obviously I can't do the lightweight, so sometimes the bigger festivals I'd have no rides in them because they'd be missing rides and handicaps. So to come up here yesterday with three rides was, was brilliant. Two and grade ones that looked like they had chances, and just a couple of things didn't go right, and then obviously final orders as well. Um, you know, it's great to be getting them rides and uh, just try to keep it going now. Yeah, now, you, you mentioned your weight. Um, you are quite unusual insofar as the minimum you can do is, what, like 11.4? Four, 11.4, yeah. Yeah. Um, but are you, are you quite happy with what you can do and what you can ride? Have you kind of reconciled yourself to that? Because it's, it's been a tough road, hasn't it? Ah, yeah, I'm content with that now, and I know, I know if I try to do any later, I'll just burn myself out. 
they have 285 rides this season and they can only do 10 pound of the weight, you know, and have a lot more than lads that can do 10 stone. So you have to look at them sides of it as well. And uh, just, just that's, that's the cards I'm dealt with and just have to live with it. But that was, was that a mindset you had to tweak? You had to sort of go from thinking, oh, I'm going to try and get down as light as I can to ride everything I can, to, no, this is what I can do well. I'm just going to do this well. Yeah, it definitely was. And I was probably beating myself up about it and trying to kill myself to do lighter weights. And uh, then, you know, you'd be missing winners and missing rides because of the weight. And it would probably put you, set you back more. So I just have to get that mindset and, you know, I'm content with it now. But you are someone who keeps yourself in, in very good shape. I'm told there is nobody who runs more miles than you do. Yeah, I actually don't run as much anymore. I just started, not? started working a bit harder. Yeah. yeah. Do not? Walking out a few boxes, are we? Yeah, just started working a bit harder now, yeah. yeah. And, it's, and everything's just kind of like slotted nicely into place. When I got out of God, I had to do a bit of work. So. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about the time that you had uh, at Gordon's and what it was like uh, uh, developing through, through that period at a, at a yard that was sort of burgeoning at the time. Ah, oh, sure, it's brilliant, you know, the, the horses I rode in there, like, it was, it was unbelievable. Um, the experience you learn, you know, riding all them horses, and uh, just, it, it was brilliant, and, you know, I wouldn't have got most of the winners I got without Gordon. And, of course, Little Tiger Roll. Yeah, and, sure. I mean, everyone will talk about Davies Nationals on him, but your cross-country chases on him, your relationship with the horse was a very special one, wasn't it? Yeah, sure, it was brilliant, you know, he was, uh, he was a freak, like, he, you know, he, he just to be involved with him was brilliant and uh, I had great days in him and uh, I'll be ever grateful to Gordon and to the O'Leary's for the ride on him. What was, what was he like as a, as a sort of character to, to, be, to be involved with? Um, he was an odd horse, like, if he wasn't in form, you know, it'd be a waste of time. You'd know by him straight away, he just wouldn't do it at all. And when he's in form, he'd come, come to spring, he'd come into form and he'd be fresh and he'd be kicking, he'd knock rails down and he'd try to book you off, and when he was that type of frame of mind, he was unbeatable. But if he, if his head wasn't in it, you know, he'd be like a person, if his head wasn't in it, <laughs> waste of time. For a long so time, his head wasn't in it. He, yeah. he, he looked like he'd done his triumph, won the four-miler, and that, that was kind of it. But you started taking him cross-country away days at home, and that kind of sparked the fire, did it? Yeah, it did. I remember I rode him in Clamell, in the Clamell Island. He pulled up after about a lap and a half, and he took every fence with him, and Gordon said to me, I will get him schooling out for the bank space. And I remember walking in thinking, I wouldn't like to be riding him over the banks. <laughs> and, uh, and you ended up right being the man to do it. Yeah, you yeah. know, got him schooling, and the minute he'd done it, he was just class. And he, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't waste an inch in the air, and uh, he was, you know, they just sparked him up again. When, when he won that, that first Cheltenham race when you rode him, I, I just, just remember so vividly everyone being so pleased for you. To what extent was that a big, a big turning point in your, in your life? Yeah, sure, obviously it's what you dream of to ride winners in Cheltenham. So, um, you know, I was after missing the winner on the bait the year before, so mm. it, it, it meant a lot and uh, just, just brilliant, yeah. Would you have got the bait to jump off? <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. He was well used to me trying to get him to jump off, don't worry. <laughs> now, I mean, you talk about characters of horses. I mean, what was going on in there? Yeah, not sure. No one could really figure that out. But, like, ridiculous talent when he fancied it. Yeah, yeah, serious talent. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, as a show, winning the Supreme and, you know, the way he won it as well. When you're, when you're going into, say, Gavin's now and, and Peter Farhees, how, how do their operations differ from, from what Gordon was doing? 
Um, obviously, Gavin's is similar enough, you know, because obviously Gavin was the farrier in Gordon's, and you know him and Gordon were good friends. They grew up together, and mm. so it's similar enough. But Gavin does definitely change it a little bit compared to what Gordon does. And uh, but it's deep Wexford sand, and you know you need a deep gallop to get the horses fit, and you know they are similar enough. And Ted, this is a you know the, people talk about the Wexford sand. This was another Mullins, then Elliot. Not innovation, but it's a, a way of doing things now that everyone seems to ape and copy. But I guess it's all very well having these facilities. You've got to know how to use them. It's very exactly. Wick, Willie is not big into extra sand now. Willie is all wood chip mostly. Is he not? Has he moved away from? No, he has a Wexford sand for warming up, but mm -hmm. all his gallop is done on a wood chip. He's not. He's not Wexford. He has Wexford sand to whatever sand it is. He has a sand gallop, but mostly it's uh, uh, all his work is done on wood chip, deep wood chip, and it worked. It works for his father, and it works for him. Um, but uh, it's it's like listen, you could put 20 fellas down into Willie Mullins tomorrow morning and they wouldn't get the results Willie Mullins getting or Gavin Cromwell or uh, Gordon Elliott or Gordon Elliott. Like, those fellas are talented fellas. And the same with this man here. He was always a very talented rider. He'd done a lot of hunting as a young man with the wards. He was a talented rider. His weight drove him mad. He was a bit screwy upstairs as well for a while and then he got, got the whole thing that's coming from ted <laughs> and then he got the whole thing leveled up he's a huge talent a huge talent very like only he's a bigger model very like paul carberry you know what i mean rides beautifully lovely man over a fence whether it's a bank or a steeplechase there's nobody i wouldn't think anybody in the in the wear room would say they ride around over fences any better than or as good even as keith Dunham, who he's a lovely man presenting a horse to a fence horses jump great for him and now that he's got everything right and his weight right all the good horses have more than 11 stone anyway and the 11 four he's grand if he keeps that way i'm not saying he'll be champion jockey but he'll be a top class rider for a long time uh, with a bit of luck doesn't get broke up he's got all the he's got all the attributes of a top class jockey and he's putting it all together well that's not a bad sales pitch is it no that's not a bad sales pitch that's coming from ted walsh as well just just we're not going to record that you can just carry it around with you this is what ted walsh said on luck on sunday um how many rides going to have next weekend was it was it ever in doubt in your mind that this is what you were going to do when you were when you were a kid oh no it's all i wanted to do when i started hunting with the wall junior from when i was seven or eight all i wanted to be was paul carvey you know when you're riding the rocking horse and you're, you're all you want to be is paul carvey and uh obviously then you know i got got lucky that Paul became one of my best friends and uh, that's all I ever wanted to do and probably hunting was definitely a big help. Like. Why Carberry particularly? What was it? Because he's I mad like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, probably, but obviously local, you know, we're, yeah. we lived beside each other and um, I suppose my uncle Andy Lynch who passed away, he was working for Noel Mead so it was always, you know, Paul Carberry, Noel Mead and watching Hartie Bald and horses like them and uh, it's probably just, that, that's, that's why. When um, your great uncle Andy passed away a, um, a little while ago, you, you came out and rode a winner. Um, was it Path de Rue you, yeah. you rode? And you spoke very movingly about the impact that, that he'd had on you and, and your family. Just tell us, for those who, who didn't know Andy, tell, tell us a little bit more about him and, and, and why he left such a, such a lasting impact. Yes, yeah, obviously he was a great man. You know, he worked for Noel Mead for years driving the box and then he trained horses for Chris Jones, then in the grade one winner with Savannah in Punchestown and uh, obviously a big man with the hunt as well you know the, the hunting was a big part of our life when we were growing up and it, it still is and uh, you know that's where we always kept our hunters and we, we never had a we never had stables it's just yeah if you ever, just bring the horse down dandies you don't ask you just put him in there and he was always looked after and uh, he was you know that's why I started riding point to point just then and he was just he was a brilliant man to me.
and a very, very popular. Ah, yeah, lovely man. So. I knew him when he was a young man, a few years older than me, not much. Uh, when he was started off as a young fellow working for Arthur Moore's father, Dan Moore, who trained uh, alongside the Ferry House that time, in, uh, opposite Ferry House Racecourse, where now Tattersall Sales is. That's where Dan Moore started when he was finished riding. And a lot of those lads, all those lads, all started there as young fellas in Moors, and then when he moved down to the Curra, uh, they went different places. He went in a new all his life, and he was a very great horseman and, and a fellow that, whether you were a stable lad or a jockey or an owner or a trainer, you could rely on Andy for a bit of advice as well too. He was a, a sound man. And and you mentioned Paul Carberry and your your desire to kind of be to be Carberry really. I guess it's it's almost incredibly difficult. It's one of those people you you almost can't copy because he's so different. He was so different. Yeah, sure. He was an unbelievable horseman. Uh, you know his own unique style. Nobody can, can copy it or ride the way he did or do the things he done on horses, you know, it was all just instinct with him. You know, he'd be going out there to ride in a race and he wouldn't have a clue what's going on. Oh, you know, whereas nowadays, like, you need to know everything that's going on, but Paul could just get away with that. You know, he wouldn't get, he'd still get away with it now, but nobody else, would, no one else would get away with it. Now, I know, I know Davey went and came back, but he might be gone again at the end of the season. Who knows what he's going to do, but we've, we've no Barry, no Ruby, no Paul. Maybe no Davy soon. No puppy. No Robbie Power, exactly. So how different does that place feel? And, and how much do you feel kind of a responsibility of a sort of senior jockey now? Yeah, like, you know, I can remember when I started off, you know, you'd be going racing at Andrew Lynch, Barry Cash, Robbie Colgan, all these lads, Paul, Barry Garrity, um, you know, we'd be all sharing lifts. And, like, you know, I felt really young, like, you know, with these. And in the space of four or five years, they're all just gone. And... Uh, you know, now I'm one of the older lads. In but there's you. 29. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're still, yeah. still really young. And yeah. yeah. But there's that big of a gap, you know, in there. And uh, it's definitely, definitely, it, uh, it, it, it's good. It's good to uh, get to that stage now where, you know, mm. you feel a bit of... But it's created this opportunity for you as well. You know, you've had to sit and watch and hope that the gap would open, essentially. And now that it has, you have to to really grab it, to get on horses like the big dog and more. Yeah, that's it. Like, you know, things were so tight when you had all them good riders. And uh, now, now, now hopefully the opportunities will come and just keep taking them when I get the chance. But, but there's only room, there is only room for four or five at the top. Yeah. I mean, that's, and there's only a, a living, a good living for four or five at the top. Fellas down with national jockeys, but that's all there is. Four or five at the top will make a good living at it. Mm. And after that, then it's a small, it's, it's, it's survival. Well, Keith, it seems you've found the sweet spot at, at the grand age of 29. Um, best of luck for today, for, for the next few months. Thanks so much for talking to me, and um, well done yesterday. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Keith Donoghue. <laughs> Live with us here on Luck on Sunday from the Bulmers Cider Orchard. And when you rejoin us after this break, we'll be talking to a man who had the proudest of moments in the bumper yesterday. Welcome back. We're here now. Hey. <laughs> Lovely audience for us here live on Luck on Sunday. And it's great to have you all with us. Some questions from you in a few moments' time for Jane Mangan, Ted Walsh. And congratulations, Brian Gleeson, with his wife Claire, the owner and breeder of a dream to share yesterday's bumper winner, ridden by your son John. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? It's truly special. I'm still in shock and disbelief that it has actually happened. It's stuff of dreams, everybody here. We all love this sport and this industry. And to have a horse that you breed, to come and have a, a to 
be good enough to run here mm. at the Dublin Racing Festival. There was 18,000 people here yesterday. The atmosphere was palpable, it was sensational. I was on air on RT television and we, with Jane and all the team, and, and then to be the horse trained by our great friend and neighbour, and as you, you've been there with John, John Frank. John Kiley. Uh, near Dungarvan, and, and Ted and Jane know that man very well. Like he's, a, he's a special man, and I always say, you should admire people when they're alive. Tell them they're special, not when they're gone. And every day we're, we appreciate that man. We're blessed that, he's, that he is the genius that he is. Extraordinary trainer, clearly an extraordinary horse, a very well-bred horse. I'm guessing this maybe wasn't the plan when you, when you did the mating. Of course, he was by Muharar. You, like, you dream to breed the best, to the best, and hope for the best. And Muharar, what, didn't turn out to be sexy. Um, we broke him as a yearling. Uh, nobody wanted him. None of the sales companies bowl yearling. And you, but you've got to believe in your own product, in your own pedigree. And you know, and I've discussed, you're a breeder. Yeah. The Look family have always been breeders. Jane Mangan's family have always been breeders. And if you don't believe in your own pedigree, well then, why should anybody else believe? And I always believed in my pedigree. And I said, you know, patience, patience, believe. It's there. Just Patrick Pendergast, a true great friend of ours, Ted Durkin, said, we'll break him as a yearling. And Patrick said, yeah, there's something there. And John Kiley, John, my son, was what, 15 at the time, and John said, if you want this guy to have a ride at 17, you probably need to bush one, uh, you know, put one away, and he said, I think I have one, John. And, but, you know, it's stuff of dreams, isn't it? And you, we did gently brought him along, nice and slowly. Um, and then Christmas last year, at Christmas Day, my dad, my wife, Claire, and family sitting around the Christmas table, and said, I need a name for this horse. Which are alarm bells clicked. A dream to share, and we said, "What was the saying? Is a dream shared alone is not a dream. A dream shared together is reality." And we dreamed this, Nick. You know, it's it's it is emotional because Ted knows when Ruby rode in the Grand National, when Katie rode in the Grand National, and yesterday I was a dad. Your son is riding a horse at the Dublin Racing Festival, just 18, doing his leaving cert claiming seven pounds against the boys, the big boys, but great friends of John off the horse, on the track, arch rivals, um, couldn't claim his seven pounds, was giving all the other horses in the race three pounds, plus the third horse, seven pounds, and I'm watching it now, that's just, it's Ted and Jane, my, my, my friends and colleagues on my left, they know what it means, because they've been there. It's just special. And then for the man on the inside, and the colours of J.P. McManus, uh, to tap my son on the back after the line and say, well done, and was genuinely delighted for him. That's why this sport is a wonderful sport, because they're sports people. You congratulate when you win, you congratulate when you lose, because everybody knows how hard it is to win. And Patrick knew that it meant a lot to us yesterday. And uh, it was, everybody knows out there, don't you? It's, it's special, isn't it? It's I mean, magic. just a, a, a magic feeling for you. How? How was John yesterday after he, after he dismounted? What was, what was? Ah, he's he, he's got a great mentor, like Ruby Walsh and Katie Walsh and a great mentor and their dad. I don't have that skill, but I, I couldn't, I can't do that. But our son has a great mentor in John Kiley, like he's like he's third grandfather. He's been with him since he's been knee high to a grasshopper. He's with him six days a week. On day seven, he's with Joseph O'Brien. Uh, so. You, you, you always surround yourself with good people and if you're a sponge and 
God gave you two ears and one mouth. If you, if you listen, you should absorb it. And thank God he does absorb it. It's a, it's a wonderful story, but not just that, Brian. It was a serious performance yesterday. Um, where's this dream going to end up? You, so you, you, like last, when the horse won in Tipperary, we, were, we thought he was a nice horse going, but you want to educate him. And, and I, what, what he did in Tipperary the first day sent a little shiver through my spine when he turned in with Patrick. And okay, Patrick's horse was giving him a lot of weight, rat called by, but I knew that Mullins has had a reasonably high opinion of him as he was sent off favour for the entry bumper. Yeah. And he treated that horse with disdain and had the, his rivals like clothesline washing. Um, and after that race, we said, let's dream that again it might be a dublin racing festival and a cheltenham festival and then john kiley said well if we are dreaming that way we've got to run him again i remember being in royal ascot uh for itv i think i met you there as well it was an evening meeting in roscommon um and he was one to four two to seven maybe two to nine and I remember speaking to john kiley in the morning of the race and john said he could get beat today brian and i said john he's a, he's a one to four shot and he said, yeah, Brian, but the way we're going to ride him today, he didn't learn anything in Tipperary. He's got to learn today the way we're going to ride him. And it's difficult to come from that far back in Roscommon. And if you watch the race back, um, and he learned a lot that day. Mm. It wasn't as impressive as the judges said in the comments after the race. And no, look, it was, then we decided to give him Dr. Green, take off the hind shoes, don't resist the temptation of going for the, the mile and a half maiden in Galway and said, okay, let's train him for the Dublin Racing Festival. But these things don't happen. You know that, Nick. And now it's, and now it's Cheltenham. All systems go. Yeah, we, please God. That he's, that he's, the dream is still there.